0: about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's zionpbc.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons, as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website, which will update you by email whenever I post a new sermon. Today's sermon is the first half of a message preached in our series on the book of Hebrews entitled, Gospel Rest. There is a rest for the child of God that's found only in believing and trusting in the gospel of the grace of God. Many children of God are trying to work their way to heaven. Others are trying to add in some way to the finished work of Christ. But when we rest in the true gospel, which is that Jesus Christ has put away our sins by the sacrifice of himself plus nothing. We find a rest that we cannot find anywhere else. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. In the dark of the midnight, Be back over to the book of Hebrews. We're going to read a few verses in the fourth chapter, but we're going to cover some of the third chapter as well, the Lord being our helper tonight. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9, we read the following, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. As primitive Baptists, we hold to the position that God is going to save His elect children from their sins, separate and apart from their hearing the gospel, or taking action on their part to believe in it, or as some would say, accepting Jesus or putting their trust in Him or other things that might be added to that. We believe that Jesus Christ came into this world. He was born of a virgin. He took on our flesh and bone. He became a man. And He died as fully God and fully man. He he lived a life as fully God and fully man and died on the cross To completely put away our sins. And we believe that in time, all those that Jesus died for will be born again by the Holy Spirit. Apart from the hearing of the gospel, apart from any action on a preacher's part or the church's part or on the individual's part, we believe that that they will all be saved. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And that's not talking about coming to him, walking to him, or in some kind of faith way. or some, That's talking about being born of the Spirit. They will all come to him. And so we make it clear when we preach that, that the way the world teaches believing and trusting is not the way the Bible teaches it. That it's not a prerequisite for being born again, and it's not necessarily even the result of being born again. Now, One caveat there, let me just say this. We read in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 that one of the ninefold fruit of the Spirit is faith. So when we're born again, there's a faith implanted in our hearts. Now, it's not necessarily a faith according to knowledge. A baby that's born uh, into this world knows that he has this... uh, motherly creature that takes care of him and feeds him and changes him and and takes care of all of his physical needs but doesn't necessarily know her name and doesn't necessarily know many details about her but he understands from being born that there is something greater than him there that is taking care of him well in the same way there's a faith that's implanted and imparted in the new birth that we have an awareness now and in fact a relationship a vital relationship with, with God the Father, but it's not necessarily according to our knowledge and that we don't understand everything about Him. And so exercising the decision to believe in Him is not prerequisite to the new birth. And in fact, we also believe that there are many out in the world, uh, untold numbers actually, that have never heard the gospel, but we're told that there's a people of God in every single uh, kindred, nation, tongue, and tribe. So I say all that as a disclaimer, brother buddy, as a disclaimer that I am a true primitive Baptist and I do not believe that belief is a prerequisite to anyone going to heaven. However, belief is extremely important. Belief, as a matter of fact, is essential in the life of a child of God. If that child of God would have fellowship with God and would be able to deal with the troubles and the trials of life in a way uh, that allows them to get through this world. There are children of God who are struggling in the world that don't have that faith or don't exercise that faith, I should say. And they struggle in this world. That's the topic I believe that's under consideration here tonight in these three verses. In fact, verses 9, 10, and 11 that we just read are in a sense a summary of what has gone before beginning in about Hebrews chapter 3 and about verse 7. And we, may look, we will look back to those verses in a moment. But, uh, but what the topic that's under consideration here is a rest that is available for the children of God, for the born-again children of God. Notice it says in verse 9, "...there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God." And, and that rest is the same kind of uh, rest that God uh, engaged in on the seventh day of, after creation had ended. On the sixth day, he rested from his works. He ceased his works and he had a rest. Now, God didn't rest because he was tired. We need to rest because we get tired. <laughs> we do get tired. And I don't know about you, I really, really get tired in the world that we're living in today. You know, I've been preaching on spiritual warfare, and, beloved, it is a warfare. I feel like I've been in a war all week, just from one battle to the next battle to the next battle. Sometimes I feel like I, I, I conducted myself okay, and sometimes I feel like I lost the battle, Brother Mackey. But sometimes, all the time I feel the Lord with me, but I'm constantly fighting. I'm constantly fighting. Now, I want to ask you a question. How much worse would it be if I thought I was fighting to get into heaven? How much worse would it be if all the works that I were doing out here was trying to work my way to heaven? So the rest that we're talking about here, I believe, is a gospel rest. And we want to cover that tonight. We want to talk about the gospel rest that is available, that remains to the people of God. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. So let's talk about the when, where, why, and how of it, okay? So so when is this rest available? Flip with me back over to chapter 3 and verse 7. Back in You know, we talked last time I preached on the book of Hebrews, verses 1 through 6, about how Christ was better than Moses. And leading from that that topic that Christ was better than Moses, it leads us right into this question of this gospel rest that we have. Because you see, under the law, the law service was you had to keep the law to a jot and to a tittle, otherwise you were a lawbreaker. And none none of us are able to do that. But Jesus is better than the law because number one, he's the giver of the law and number two, he kept it to a jot and to a tittle. He's better than Moses. Moses himself fell down when it came to the law. Moses himself didn't even circumcise his son until the Lord threatened to kill him. (laughs) Moses didn't, uh, uh, he got angry and struck the rock that was only to be struck once, you see. But Christ, Christ kept the law to a jot and to a tittle. And in fact, we are his house. He's the builder of this house. And we are his house as his children. So then in verse 7, he says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice. Now, now let me just stop there. We're talking about the question of when is this rest available? Well, there's certainly a rest in eternity. There's no doubt about that. There's a rest There's an eternal rest, a heavenly rest taught in many places. You remember in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13, uh, John wrote, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. (laughs) This uh, This is a heavenly rest. There's a heavenly rest coming. I look forward to that heavenly rest. The 21st chapter of Revelation speaks of a place where rest is clearly abounding, where tears will be wiped away, labor will be ceased, suffering will be no more, sorrow will be ended. But you see, there's certainly a rest in eternity, but there's also a rest here and now. Notice what this says, today, today, if you will hear his voice, here the focus is an earthly rest. And we're going to see as we keep going that this rest has to do with uh, the gospel. It has to do with the good news that Jesus Christ has put away our sins. And because he has done it all, we don't have to do anything. (laughs) You see, we can cease from our works. We're going to see that in a moment. There is a rest here and now. Now, where is that rest? Where is this rest? Notice as we keep reading. Let's go back to verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness. Notice here what he's saying. This rest is not eternal heavenly. It's not in eternity, and it's not in heaven. It's in the wilderness. It's in the wilderness. Did you catch that? He says, this occurred in the wilderness. Now, they hardened their hearts there in the wilderness but they could have heard the voice of God and responded to it in the wilderness now let me let me remind you we're talking about God's children here we're not talking about dead alien sinners that have to do something to become God's children this is the people of God in the wilderness they're wandering in the wilderness there they're actually and this is talking about I believe primarily focused upon that time when they went through the wilderness and had the opportunity to enter into the promised land. They, had the, they were standing on the border of Canaan. Right, we won't turn back over there and read it. It's in the Book of Numbers. There's some in other books over there. But 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 if you go, if you go back and read the account, they were on the cusp. They were on the precipice. There, ready to go down into the into Canaan's land, the land that was flowing with milk and honey, the land God had promised them. He said, "I have something better for you, and if you'll just do what I say, you will enjoy this promised land." Okay. Now I know. I, I let me. Stop and say, I understand many in the world teach that as doing what you got to do to get to heaven. They consider heaven to be the promised land. I don't believe at all that's what it's talking about there. Honestly, I believe that the best interpretation of that for our day is this kingdom of God that we have here, the church of the living God. Okay, We have a promised land here and now. We have a promised land coming, but beloved, there's a promised land here and now. There's a pray, a place where God said that he would meet with us. In Isaiah chapter 2, I think I preached on this not too long ago, but over in Isaiah chapter 2, he tells us about that day. He says that, In verse one, the word of that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem: It shall come to pass in the last days, this days that we're living in here, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. I love that vision. It's as if we go up to the, we're scaling Mount Everest, and we get as high as we can get here on earth, and right on top of Mount Everest, when we reach the pinnacle of Mount Everest, there's another mountain there. (laughs) It's a mountain on the top of the mountains, you see. And you go on to see, he's talking about, All the people that will say, come, you let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, I know that's literally talking about Zion and literally talking about Jerusalem there. But beloved, in a figurative way, in a way that's very symbolic and a type of where we are today, the word of the Lord, where does it go out from? It goes out from the church of God. I spoke this morning up at Blooming Grove about the fact that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. <laughs> the church is not, th- think about that. The church is built upon the truth. The ground is the foundation. This, this building here is built upon a earthly foundation that has to be strong. It has to be uh, of a certain type and it has to be laid in just the right way, or else the building will fall. Well, beloved, in the same way, the church must be built upon spiritual truth, on a spiritual foundation. It, the, the ground is what it's built upon but notice it's also the pillar it's also the pillar what's a pillar do it holds something up so that everybody can see it so the church is not just the ground of the truth it's the pillar of the truth it shines forth we're to be a hill a, a, a shining city set up on a hill Brother Martin taught us a couple of weeks ago, we're, we're, to be, we're to let our light shine. You see, hold it up on the pillar. That's the church of the living God. And beloved, he, he talks about the fact that, uh, that all nations shall flow into it. You know, we're no longer just a Jewish church. Praise God. You know, the church started out as a Jewish church. It started out as primarily Jews. There were a few Gentiles here and there. But Paul and Peter both ended up going to the Gentiles. Paul particularly was an apostle to the Gentiles. And praise God he was, because we're not just a Jewish church. As a matter of fact, we're spiritual Jews. We're spiritual Jews. He said, who is a Jew? He's not one that's circumcised outwardly, but one that's circumcised in the heart, you see. And the point is, is that all nations and kindreds and tongues and peoples are now part of this church. Now, they were always... Children of God, even during the time of the nation of Israel that were not part of the nation of Israel, but they didn't have the public worship. They didn't have access to the temple. They didn't have access to the tabernacle. But all of God's children, elect children, have access to the church of God now. And He's telling us here that there is a rest that is available to us that we don't have to wait for heaven to get. It's here in the wilderness. These Jews, the children of Israel, were on the edge of the promised land. They were getting ready to go down into Canaan. They said, well, we're not really sure that God meant what he said. I'm not sure we can trust God. Let's send some spies into the land. Let's, let's you know, figuratively, let's stick our toe in the water. <laughs> you know, um, I've been there before when I thought I'd just maybe stick my toe in the water and see what it's like. You know what God wants us to do? He doesn't want us sticking our toe in the water. He wants us to jump all the way in. <laughs> just dive in, you know? Uh, it took me a while here, ain't Lorraine, but I finally just dove in, you know? And, um, but they sent the spies down there and 10 of them that came back said, there's no way. They were just like grasshoppers in, in the sight of these giants that are in this land. They said everything else was exactly what God said. It's the man. It's, it's. There's they had grapes that they had. It took two men to carry. They had all kinds of of, of uh, uh, lush plants and and it looked just like a garden to them. But but we just can't trust God enough to take him at his word. <laughs> you know that's unfortunately what where we find ourselves sometimes as children of God. There's so many children of God that just kind of hover around the edge of the promised land, you know? Listen, it, it's, if, if you only come to church once a month, that's praise God, I hope you keep coming. But you see, the promised land is not something you stick your toe in. It's something you go all in for. And those children of God over there, those children of Israel that were wandering in the wilderness and came to the promised land... They believed the naysayers more than they believed God and they just stayed out. And you know what happened? They wandered for 40 years till that whole generation had disappeared. That whole generation had died off. Don't wait till you're in the promised land. To enter into this rest, you see. Don't you don't you don't begin to labor to get into the promised land uh, once you're in there, you see. You've gotta you've got to fight your way in. You know, this is something that's here and now. Notice what it said in verse nine, back in Hebrews chapter three. He says, verse eight, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. You know, don't tempt God. <laughs> Just don't do it. Don't don't do like they did and, don't, and disbelieve him. And, you know, God will show you. That's the problem. Notice he said, he said, they saw my works for 40 years. My works are exactly what I say they are. He said, for 40 years they endured my chastening. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said they always do err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. That ought to send chills down our spines you know it does me because there's many times in my life where I have tempted God I have claimed that I believed in what he promised that he would always be with me that he would uh, providentially take care of me but then there have been so many times when I came home stressed out I, I began to sing the song oh woe is me poor pitiful me I began to get angry at my circumstances. I began to, I began to um, almost, in a sense, rail against God. You know, why me, Lord? Why? He said, I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. <laughs> now, I'm not here preaching to try to scare us or make us terrified or anything like that, but and I don't want to, I'm not here to preach about this at all, actually, tonight, but I do want to say this much. There is a point where we can be so stubborn, we can be so focused upon our own things, and going obstinately against what God has told us to do, that there is no rest for us here. There's no rest for us. Think about the prodigal son. Think about him for a moment. That prodigal son didn't go immediately from the father's house to the pig pen there were a lot of stops on the way there was a lot of opportunities that he could have gone back to the father's house he was always a child of his father he wasn't going this isn't a story about him going down there to get born again he was already in our typology he was already born again he knew the goodness of god in the promised land of his father but he went all the way down there and he ended up to the point where if you remember, it said he came to himself. Now, I don't want to get off into that tonight because it would take too long to preach about it, Brother Buddy. But I just want to ask you a question. How do you reckon he came to himself? How do you reckon it was that he, that he just all of a sudden came to himself? you reckon God had anything to do with that? <laughs> I think the answer is clearly he, he had something to do with it. You know, you can get to a point and I can get to a point where the preacher can't help you. Where your mom and daddy can't help you? You know, he talks about a point where people get where it's impossible to restore them. In fact, we're, we're going to get to that if we keep going in the book of Hebrews. He said, there's a point where it's impossible that those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have tasted the good word of God and so forth. He co- talks about all they've done. If they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance. Now, he's not talking about it. it's impossible for God what does he say what does Jesus say about that in Mark chapter 10 he says Th- that's impossible with man but all things are possible with God but he's saying there gets a point where you can't do anything about it and all we have you know from our standpoint those of us who are trying to help someone in that condition it's 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 uh, hurtful and it's 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 disappointing and it's can sometimes uh, be frustrating and but you can pray but understand that you may not be able to get to them but God can I believe that's what happened to the prodigal son. The Lord got to him. (laughs) He was already one of his children, but he came to himself and went back. But there was no hope for him as long as he was obstinately going against what God had told him to do. Going back to Hebrews 3, notice what he said in verse 12. He says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Now, He's talked about those in the wilderness over there. So maybe his, maybe, I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. So I'm going to use his name a lot in talking about the writer. Maybe Paul, uh, as he's writing there, you know, he's, the, the spirit inspires him to write this verse 12 because he said, well, maybe, maybe they're going to think I'm just talking about those old Israelites. Maybe I'm just talking, maybe they think I'm just talking about back in the wilderness when they tempted God and had to wander for 40 years. But see, he's not just talking about that day. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I forget the exact verse, but it says that those things were written for our examples that we should not err, we should not murmur like that. He says, take heed, brethren, you, take heed, lest there be in you and evil heart of unbelief. Now, wait a minute, are you talking about lest less me being a child of God should, should somehow uh, quit believing and therefore become a, a child of the devil? No, that's not what he's talking about. See, this whole chapter before and what he's talking about now is written to children of God and he's warning us not to backslide. In chapter two, he said, we ought to give the more earnest heed the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. He's warning us not to let these things slip. And and let me just ask you this question. Why would he be warning us if it couldn't happen to us? Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.